say cash, make sure that you really understand mm. your, your, your run rate. So you know where your money's spending, how much, how long do you have? And aside from cash, like what is your personal run rate? Because mm. there is the money aspect as your personal mental health being like, can I sustain these up and downs for the next six months without a paycheck? And mm. am I, am I feeling really depleted that I need to maybe not be doing this or, or I need to take a break. So I think, I think it's your personal run rate and also your cash, making sure that you spend it wisely because cash is king. And if you don't have enough money, you're going to be out and you're done. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that has grown several startups in the seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where we help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. And if you ever need help with yours, feel free to grab some time with us. Just go to strategymeeting.com. Now, today we have another great guest on the podcast, and I'm already nervous I'm going to mispronounce her name. Netta Vasegi is as close as I'm going to get. Uh, but uh, Netta is, uh, she was, uh, grew up, I think, in Iran for a few years or until she's around 10 years old. And then they moved to the U.S. And I think in her words, kind of grew up the fa- with the family culture of uh, living the American dream or wanting to live the American dream. So went off, did college for a period of time, um, got some degrees and then uh, came out and she had lots of ideas. And I think it was everything from a dance studio to working in a bar to working out or a workout or a a fitness business and lots of different and fun and exciting things, but really got into science and data and technology. Um, And then uh, it had a business partner that uh, was in in the food development or food science business and uh, was uh, getting a started a conversation, kind of uh, figuring out how to do it and decided how to move forward. And she'll get into a little bit more of that. And then uh, kind of bringing it forward, uh, had some uh, adjustments or pivots to make in in, a, in with COVID and the things that are going on and uh, had a good journey from there. So with that much as an introduction, welcome onto the podcast. Devin, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. So I gave just that very high-level snippet overview, but let's uh, talk a little bit more about your journey. So tell us a little bit more about being around 10 years old, going from Iran to the U.S. and kind of how that transition was and then how that led to the rest of your journey. Oh, good. Thank you. It's, it's a long journey, but I think it's, it's good to talk about how one gets to this place, I guess. Um, mm. I was actually originally born in Iran and I moved here in 1985. So we left during the second year of the war, Iran-Iraq war. Mm. And came here ultimately just to get us girls, my sister and I, out of the country. Um, just, uh, I mean, my, my parents did not agree with the with the regime, and it was uh, not something they wanted to see us girls raised in. So mm. we left in 1985 and came straight to Seattle and settled. And you know, I got to uh, learn to speak English. Hence, I have this slight little accent. But if I have a couple of drinks, the accent's a lot worse. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah, then we settled in Seattle and uh, both my sister and I were raised in Seattle. And like what you said, it was the sort of the American dream. You know, you know that if you come to this side of the world, there's a pretty good opportunity that if mm. you apply yourself, you can really do well for yourself. 
So now, so then, so you came to the U.S. and said, okay, you know, want to, parents want to give the, their kids the opportunity. Yeah. think it's a good environment to grow up in, get to overcome the language barrier. And I can barely notice an accent, so you do great. <laughs> Haven't heard what you drink, so maybe uh, more so there. But then you said, okay, so grow up in that, in that kind of, I'm going to take advantage of the American dream, so to speak. And so then you go off to, I think it was college, and you got an MBA, is that right? Or there's a couple degrees in there. Yeah. So kind of what was that part? Yeah, I, I decided to study the sciences. So I went straight into environmental um, health and safety, took a couple of courses in food microbiology and absolutely fell in love with the food aspect of it. Um, finished my undergrad, decided to work. I was working in a laboratory for a while, left the lab and then went on to the business side of food science and then got my MBA and just kind of continued down more of a science slash business hmm. perspective. Hmm. So yeah. now, as you now, so now you so you, you get those degrees, you kind of go down the technology, science, data route, and you're coming out of school. And it sounded like you know when we chatted a bit before the podcast, you had a whole bunch of different things that interest yeah. you. Everything from dance studio to work or running a bar to a fitness industry to everything else. So how did you kind of as you're coming out of school, where did you land, or what was that for or that next part of your journey? Yeah, definitely. So just a correction, it was not running a bar, but actually opening a bar studio. You've seen like the ballet bar studios. Oh, gotcha. I loved working out and I wanted to do something for myself. You know, I, I had been doing the, the, you know, I went from doing um, lab technician to sales, to sales uh, management director role, to mergers and acquisitions and, and so forth in my career journey. So kind of was at a point where I thought, you know what, I really want to do something for myself. Should I mm. invest in a dance studio? Should I invest in these bar studios that are popping up and they're pretty profitable? And so I had all these thousand different ideas, but none of them really felt like it was a right move for me to make and, and mm. take that big risk from being a career that I had worked for in, you know, in 20 something years. Mm. So um, I didn't settle on any of them. I just kind of waited and waited. So, so as you're waiting, what did you do for a career or a job, or did you take some time off or kind of where did you land as you were kind of figuring out what you were going to do? Yeah, so I would say like the waiting part was probably in the past like 10, 10 years, but straight out of undergrad, I hmm. worked in food science, like I said, and the jobs that I held, the last company I worked with was Marion Nutrisciences, one of the global leaders in food science and food safety. Um, and I had, you know, like I said, various roles from sales, sales manager to mergers and acquisition. And during that, I'd say in the past 10 years, the idea of I need to do something for myself has been really developing and growing. And I felt like the urge was there to do something. Mm. So now, so you work in food sciences for a period of time and, you know, work with, including your last job. Mm -hmm. And as you're going through and kind of going through your day job. And then I think that you talked about, you know, and you're wanting to do something else, but also it's always that tension of, Hey, I've got a good paying job. It, it's stable or stable. At least, you know, it's as stable as a job can be. And I'll, I'll argue that big businesses are more stable than the small businesses. Big businesses has that appearance, but you're going through that. And there is kind of always that, do I continue on my path? Do I continue what I'm doing or do I do something new and, and chase after something I'm, you know, excited about and so kind of now, and I think that you started talking with who your current business partner is and food, and he was also in developing some of the food or the food science business. So maybe share a little bit about kind of how that connection made and how you kind of decided to make the jump. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks for touching on the fact that big business doesn't always have what we think it does. When you come from the corporate world, it's really hard to take that corporate hat off and say, 
oh my gosh, there's another way of living. It may not pay me for a year or two, but there's another way of living. So I'm glad you pointed that. I think it's really important to be able to take that you know, into consideration. Mm. Um, so Lauren West, who is my business partner, is the founder of Microclimates. Um, him and his son had actually, he's in the technology side. So he knows nothing about food sa safety, food science. He's on the technology side. Mm. Uh, software developer, enterprise software developer, one of the smartest guys that I know. He had developed something. So um, him and our families are very close families. And I've known him for, I think, 15, 18 years. Mm. And we're at a party, actually, having a conversation about what he's doing with the technology that he developed. And he kept talking about the fact that he's developed it and how cool it is what he's developed. And I said, well, where's your market traction? Have you gained any customers? Are you just selling? And he's like, no, we have some cool stuff built. So mm. we got talking about, you know, his business and the fact that there needs to be some sort of a go-to-market strategy for him and what he's doing for that. Initially, my thought was, oh, I'd like to invest in your company, you know, just mm an equity holder, invest in your company. We had a property that I was going to sell. I bought the property in my 20s and I was going to sell that property and take some of the money invested. Somehow the conversation led to, we need someone on the sales side. We need somebody that, that can actually network and, and get our product out there on the market. Is this an area I'm looking for a CEO? Mm. And the conversations just kept developing over the next you know few months regarding, all right, what would it take for me to leave my corporate job, the high paying job, a position that I've worked for so hard in 20 something years, what will it take for me to, to, to you know, take that leap? And that's where we ended up was eventually getting to a point where I left my corporate job to do this. Hmm. So now, and, and so hitting on that just a little bit, cause you, and yeah. I touched on it and you touched on it as well. So leaving the corporate job, you know, one, it's always a bit scary, no matter, you know, how good the idea is, how good the business opportunity is, but how was it that transition from kind of moving from the, the corporate side of things to kind of taking over a business, running it, being, you know, working with the business partner, maybe not making as much money on the front end, but having a good time at it and kind of making, building something. How, how did that transition go for you? Um, I'd say, Devin, before any of that, I think the transition, especially when, when you're, um, you know, a family and you're a mother and, you know, I think the transition is really important that you have a supporting spouse. That would be mm -hmm. the first thing I would say is my husband and I had a lot of talks regarding what is this going to look like? Like, where am I going to need your help? Where do you need to be patient with me through this process? I've been a woman who's always made money for myself. I've never had to rely on anyone. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to take any money in what is this journey going to look like? So we talked a lot, not just about financial aspect, but what it means for your spouse to support you in, the, in, in that journey. So, um, mm. you know, considerations of that, the fact that my daughter was going to start kindergarten the next year, a lot of changes. Um, the journey, I'd say, was the first, like, month or two, super exciting, right? You're getting mm. into something new. You've finally taken this big risk with your life. And then the reality kicks in and you realize I having known sales and being in sales as long as I have, wow, this is not really easy to sell. Working for a corporate world where everything has been developed from marketing brochures to data sheets and everything else, you come into a world mm -hmm. where none of those things exist. You've got to develop them. You can't pay someone to do them. So you're going to do a lot of it yourself. Um, what does that all look like? So that was probably the biggest obstacle was the reality of what it means to be in a startup and what I had in my mind versus that. Mm. And then COVID hits. So 
you know, it's been, it's, it was a, it's been a lot of ups and downs, but I, but it's at the end, I'd say it's not a journey that I would change for anything else. No. And I think that's one thing that, you know, so, and we, we touched on or, or just a little bit before the podcast, which is it sound, you know, you're making this career shift, you're making this adjustment, and then you also have COVID hits or other things hit such <laughs> that unanticipated can't, don't, don't anticipate them happening. Don't foresee them. And yet you still have to deal with them. And so I think you mentioned there was at least an impact kind of on the, as you're making the career shift, as you're building things and that with COVID and with other things. So maybe uh, tell us a little bit about that or how that went or how that overplayed on top of everything. Yeah. Um, I'd say in, in the silver lining in, in COVID mm. is that it allowed us to pivot. Mm. We had a lot of ideas, but until I think all the noise slows down and you're not just focused on, I need to meet with clients. I need to sell, 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 sell. You really begin to sit back and go, no, I need to speak to clients and really understand what their needs are. And did we have the right product that really solves a problem? So that was probably the best thing that happened to us in a really, mm. again, weird kind of way. It slowed us down. It, it really helped us pivot in a direction that's a lot more meaningful now. Mm. It also allowed us to really sit back within the first month and go, where are we spending our money on a monthly basis? Mm. How do do we change that? Like we need to last a lot longer than anticipated right now. So how do we quickly shift and really take a look at what's going to happen, not just short term, but long term and how do we prevent that? And Having a science background, it was January of last year when I read about coronavirus, RNA virus, and I meant, this is going to get real. This isn't just a two-month break. Things are going to get really intense on the there's a virus. So mm. we kind of saw that coming. And then at the same time, it was really good for us to kind of pause and, and rethink the way we're doing our business. So now, as you did that, because I mean, one of... When you when you have something comes up with a business first, I always have the the philosophy, and hopefully it's right that you know that if you anytime the market changes, is there's an adjustment in the marketplace, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. You know, it's something that causes the market to change. It presents an opportunity. It presents an opportunity because it reveals the chinks in other people's armors and their weaknesses and the other people's businesses, such that you can say, how can we pivot or take advantage of that so that we can be successful during the change? And so I think that, you know, that always presents an opportunity. But at the same point, you always, you know, anytime there's change in the marketplace, it causes, it gives you a bit of a nervousness or gives you pause right oh no you know we have to now rethink what we're doing and how we're doing it and can we adjust and you know what we all of our plans are now kind of out the window or at least have to adjust them so when you originally kind of had that realization hey we're going to have to change we're going to have to adjust and pivot a bit how did you guys take or how did you guys tackle that or how did you decide this is how we're going to pivot yeah yeah it was um it was on, on the on on where we were spending our money, right? Our mm-hmm. monthly money. That was a hard that was a hard thing to come to because we were spending, you know, just some money renting a space for office space. And mm-hmm. um we weren't working from home. So there was all that that was a hard discussion because not everybody, you know, there was three of us that were not used to like living and working from home. I've always worked from home, so it was an easy adjustment. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have a permanent space, but it was a space that we were, you know, using occasionally. So that, that was a hard discussion to have for all of us to agree on the same way of doing business now. Mm. Um, and then the, the actual, like what you were saying about like the, 
the, the challenge in realizing that you've got to shift your, your business and maybe like throw 80% of what you've done out. Um, that was really based on customers kind of feedback and realizing that customer feedback and also realizing that what we were selling into the market was, was going to be at a price point that was going to be either the same as a competition, if not sometimes a little bit higher and mm. knowing, understanding a little bit more about the customer and realizing that they don't actually need everything at once, we decided to divide what we were selling. So we divided what we call the operational technology from information technology, allowing a very scalable solution, realizing that people are not going to have the budgets they used to have. So there was a lot of, um, you know, from a technology perspective, it was really like we literally threw out the hardware that we had in mm. on a different route. <laughs> Well, I think that, you know, but I think that, you know, sometimes when, when you're forced to take a pause and you're forced to either say, Hey, we're going to hunker down and wait to try and wait this out, which generally is not a good, sometimes it works and sometimes a good plan, but most of the time waiting things out is only, is only going to be death by the thousand cuts. You're always waiting till things go back to how they were versus saying, Hey, we've got to pivot. We've got to adjust. And it may be painful, but it's going to be more beneficial. will be stronger on the other end type of a thing. I think is a better approach. And it sounds like what you guys did. So now looking towards, you know, having that in mind, you know, making the, uh, throwing out 80%, making the uh, adjustments and the pivots and whatnot. Where do do you see the next six to 12 months going for you guys? Where it's kind of the, the roadmap and what's the plan? Yeah, the, the, the next six to 12 months for us is going to be staying, hopefully not pivoting too much more, but from what I'm learning from a lot of entrepreneurs and, you know, mentors that I have that have started businesses, be ready for more pivots. I, mm. I hear from everybody just, you know, um, our roadmap is going to be just gaining traction in the indoor farming industry. You know, one of the things that COVID is going to cause is that food availability Produce, for example, is not readily available when you look at places like the U.S. Virgin Islands or places like in Canada. You know, Mm. we're relying on all of our produce from California and Florida. So Mm. when you see what's happening in the food world, there's a need for indoor ag um, and growing locally grown foods in urban agriculture. But there's a price to pay for that. So where we Mm. see things happening in the six to 12 months is the ability to provide this affordable solution for these customers. So we have to stay on track with providing a scalable, affordable solution for them. Mm. Being able to add additional software as needed and making this whole indoor farming, whether it's, you know, cannabis or food, um, making it so that it's, it's, it's tangible for them to get to a point where they can have, you know, an automated system. So Our goal is to really stay on track with making it affordable and scalable, growing our business, gaining new customers, and really hopefully go on a global level. I mean, it's one thing to be North America. We really would love to go and support, especially the countries that have an immediate need for locally grown produce so they can have healthy food to eat. No, and it sounds like that's uh, both a good roadmap, a good uh, trajectory, and a good place to be. So that's exciting to see how it uh, plays out. Well, as we wrap towards the end of the podcast, I always have two questions that I ask. And so why don't we jump to those now? So the first question I always ask is, so along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made and what did you learn from it? The 
worst business decision was investing in what is not your core competency. Like you have to know, I believe you have to know what are your strengths? What, what is your team? What are the strengths on your team? Like, what are they good at? Mm. And if you are not a hardware developer, like we were not, the worst mm. decision was to get into the hardware world plus software. Mm. Um, that was a big investment. We put money towards it. We put it out to trial for a customer and the thing kept, you know, unplugging and breaking and with issues. And unless you have funding as a startup to mm. throw towards getting that industrialized and getting going through UL listing, um, bad idea. So we learned that you really should stick to your strengths and your core competencies. And that's why we decided to shift away from using our own hardware. And we found the best hardware on the market. We decided to integrate with those companies and finding partners in the industry they do what they're good at. We do what we're good at and we bring them together. No, and I, I think that's a, a good lesson to learn. I think it's one that's, it can be a bit hard in the sense that as an entrepreneur is a, you know, in the startup, you think, Hey, I can, I can figure this out or we can tackle it. And I'm as smart as anybody else. And, you know, I can do this. And yet to your point, even if you are that smart, it, it, when you move away from your core competencies and it, it defocuses the business or it makes it so you're dealing with things that you're not able to add as much value because it's not where your expertise is not where your strengths at. So I think, you know, or having that focus, be able to make sure that you or add the value and drive the business to an area that you really can outperform everybody makes a big difference. So I think that's both an easy mistake to make and something certainly to learn from. Big, big. I totally agree. You know, one of the best books that one of my friends who sold his company had had recommended was reading the lean startup. Mm. And that was really helpful because it keeps going back to your, you know, your north, your true north, like stick to it, stick to it, stick to it. And not only in the, not in the customers that you're, you're, you're supporting, but really like, who are you? And you're right. It was, it's a, it, it was a good awakening and it was a good learning experience, but you're right. At the beginning, you think, oh, I can do all of these things. And you realize, no, there's also a price to pay for all these too. And if you can't hire the people to do it, then you shouldn't be doing it. Mm. No, I, I completely agree. So yeah. All right. Now, the second question I always ask is if you're talking to someone that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Um, I would say that um, one piece of advice, because I could have so many pieces of advice for them. <laughs> I'm not even mature in the entrepreneurial world like the rest of the folks out there. But um, I'd say cash. Make sure that you really understand mm. your 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 run rate. So you know where your money's spending, how much, how long do you have? And aside from cash, like what is your personal run rate? Because mm. there is the money aspect, there's your personal mental health being like, can I sustain these up and downs for the next six months without a paycheck? And mm. am I am I feeling really depleted that I need to maybe not be doing this or, or I need to take a break. So I think, I think it's your personal run rate and also your cash, making sure that you spend it wisely because cash is king. And if you don't have enough money, you're going to be out and you're done. Hmm. So no, I, think, I, I think that that's, that's a great, uh, great piece of advice and certainly something people should take to heart. 
Well, as we wrap up, and we also, just as a preview, we will be doing the bonus question, talking a little bit about intellectual property after the main episode. But as we wrap up the main episode, if people want to find out more about your business, they want to be an investor, they want to be a customer, they want to be an employee, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above, what's the best way to find out more or connect up with you? Um, the best way is to probably visit our website, www.microclimates.com. Um, and then I am always free to pass my email on to everybody. Um, it's NEDA at microclimates.com. All right. Well, I definitely encourage people to check it out, be a customer, be a supporter and uh, learn more about it. Well, Nada, think, or Nada, 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 Nada. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to mess it up. And then I, I got to the end of like, I can't remember. Nada, thank you for being on. It's been a pleasure to hear your journey. Um, and now for all of you that are listeners, if you have your own journey to tell, uh, feel free to go to inventiveguest.com, always uh, .com, and always uh, happy to have a, a yawn and hear your journey. If you're a listener, also make sure to click subscribe um, so you hear all the new episodes as they come out and leave us a review so everybody else can find us. And last but not least, if you ever need help with your intellectual property, your patents and trademarks, go to strategymeeting.com. We're always happy to chat. Thank you again, Nada. Now stay on. Don't leave. We'll we'll do the bonus question. But thank you for doing the normal episode. If you'd like to uh, keep listening, we'll talk a little about intellectual property. Otherwise, we'll catch you next time. Thank you so much. Okay. So now... Well, let's do the bonus question. So for all those that continue to listen, so bonus question is a newer thing that we've uh, introduced recently on the podcast, which is talking about kind of the number one question or one of the questions that you may have about intellectual property. And that can be patents or trademarks or copyrights or other uh, related things. So with that, what's your number one or your top question? Yeah, the number one is, um, uh, let me, so, patents. It's going to be around patents. Software is constantly evolving, right? Mm -hmm. So it's one thing if you have hardware and you patent something because it's probably going to be in place for a number of years. Mm -hmm. Software is continuously evolving. And Mm -hmm. and we've got some unique, we think at least, but everyone always says that you have to be careful because your startup could be the ugly baby that you don't realize that they are. (laughs) (laughs) We think that we've got some um, really interesting ways of utilizing the software that we've built. Mm -hmm. Um, At what point, you know, would you say for a startup, should they focus on, you know, considering the patents and what are the, some of the routes that they should take to make sure that they're protected and someone else doesn't copy your, your, your way of, um, mm. you know, providing. Yeah. So in, in a general sense, and definitely we can dive into, you know, you guys' specifics at a later point, but as a general question, you know, when you're looking at patents, I always, I think that, you know, the, erroneous way to view patents is you get one patent and you're completely done and you've got your business protected for now into eternity, which is generally not the case. And that's not how businesses work in the sense that you're always innovating. You're always coming up with new things. You're always continuing to make the next generation of the product or make it better. And so a lot of times when you're looking at intellectual property, whether it's branding and building a brand or on the patent side, is I'd say you're more building a landmine where you're building almost a portfolio of patents to where as you, you know, you, you put 
put one landmine out, it's better than nothing. It gives you some protection and it makes people have to navigate around it. And then as you continue to build a portfolio, you're going to build out, hey, here's our next generation. Here's the additional things we're doing. Here's the things we're doing in the future. And you kind of build that landmine, landfill, so to speak, that yes, everybody, if you had enough time, money, and effort, you can navigate around everything. But by the same token, you know, it's going to be so difficult to navigate around and it's going to take so much work and time, money, and effort that they'd rather either not or you know not engage in that because they don't want to have to compete or they'd rather come to you for a license or to acquire you or to otherwise use your technology and so that and i think that's you know true across the board with all patents intellectual property it's kind of building that portfolio or building out that land or that landmine field such that it makes it give you that competitive advantage that either one is going to be so much more expensive for them to be able to compete that you'll just stay ahead or two they just will just stop or the you know or they'll come and acquire you um you know when you get into software software is one where it, it can be it can be a bit more i don't know difficult is the right word because there are i we work on it with a ton of software work with a ton of um you know companies that are on you know do a lot of software plays and really you can get as much or more value on the software side as you can in the hardware because now it's you know as long as the software if you can cover how what it does how it performs in the functionality you can get a lot of coverage and a lot of uh ways to go about it as opposed to the hardware which is much more hey it's this is what the product is this is how we're doing it and it can sometimes be narrower coverage so sometimes while software appears to be more daunting on the other hand it can also give you a lot more coverage so i don't know does that answer your question or those are a few of my thoughts on the on that topic of intellectual property no that 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 really helps and i would probably want to know at some point like from an investor you said that you've been a serial entrepreneur you've made investments like mm. do investors look at patents or patent pending as an IP that is actually valuable for them to invest in a company? I'm curious about that too. Yeah. Um, long question. I'll give you the short answer to it. And then uh, again, we can take it a bit offline, which is, yeah. you know, investors, it, first of all, it always depends on the investors. You will certainly get some investors that put very little weight in intellectual property and you'll have some that will put a ton of weight. And so first of all, the answer is know your investors, know what they value in a business. Some of them, if you ever watch Shark Tank, Mark Cuban doesn't like patents. Other ones, they'll always ask about patents and you know, you'll kind of get that dichotomy. But the general answer is, is yeah, most of um, most investors are going to want to know how they protect their or protect their downside or their upside, right? What is it that's proprietary about you? And then how do we maintain that competitive advantage? and for some businesses it's a brand hey you're the next pepsi coke starbucks whatever and you've got a, a strong brand a great following and that's how you protect it and other times you're a technology play and you're saying yeah we could really where our secret sauce is or what we're doing is on the technology and how do we protect that and then that gets into patents and then you get in the discussion yes we're you know Either if you're early on, you don't have the money, then investors are at least looking for that roadmap that you have in place, that you have a strategy as to how to build it, how to protect it, and what you're going to do in order to protect it down the road. That gives that gives you better than nothing, right? So that gives you an answer. And then as you go along, the better answer is, yeah, we've thought about that, we've anticipated it, and here's how we've already going about protecting it and what we have in place. And then definitely as we get additional investment, as we continue to go the business, here's a strategy later on. So usually it's kind of that they'll look at it and they want to know how to protect their investment. And if it's on the technology side, certainly having a patent that allows you to show that you have that protected and you have their protecting what's proprietary is helpful that's great 
Well, as the, there's your two top questions, and I'm sure there are more that we could discuss and uh, later on. And if anybody else has any additional questions, always feel free to grab a strategy session with us. Just go to strategymeeting.com, and we're here to help. Thank you again. It's been fun to have you on. It's been fun to talk a little bit about your journey and also intellectual property and wish the next, wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Thank you so much, Devin. Thanks for inviting me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely.